Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the podcast show. Today, my very special guest is Dr. Ravi Danoa. He is a family physician who specializes in trigger point injections here in the Vancouver area of British Columbia in Canada. So Ravi, welcome and thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you very much for having me. Right, so let's go back in time. You've got a bit of an accent there, I recognize it. So where are you from and where did you train? Born and raised in London, England, not London, Ontario, as many people think. I came over to Canada about 10 years ago, did my training in London at Imperial College and my residency years there. And I've been in BC ever since. I was on Vancouver Island for about five years and now I've been based in Vancouver for the last five or so. Okay, so you've been in Vancouver, but when you came here, you trained at the Change Pain Clinic, is that correct? Sort of. I trained at the Mayo Clinic before that on Vancouver Island, and uh, it was part of that when it came over to Vancouver, and uh, I sort of was one of the earlier doctors at the Change Pain Clinic where I worked and helped train a few other doctors as well. So sort of everything's evolved randomly since then. Okay, so you kind of specialize in a specific form of pain treatment. So just describe well, what these trigger point injections are. Essentially, it's a pretty well-established procedure. Even though it's well-established, it's not very well-known. It's been around since the 1960s, and believe it or not, one of the first known famous patients was JFK. But it's sort of been lost over the years, but more recently, there's been a resurgence. It's a pretty simple procedure involving the injection of a solution which can be either local anesthetic or saline or dextrose, which is sugar, or uh, even Botox, which we do sometimes. And essentially what you're doing is identifying areas of contracted muscle known as trigger points, which can cause characteristic pain patterns in the body or uh, restriction in movement. And then finding that area and injecting into the muscle, not always very deep, and Hopefully, the action of the injection and the solution itself can help release the muscle from spasm and reduce the pain, hopefully. Okay, well, thanks for that description. You know, um, interesting how you use the term Botox and sugar, like along with the same lidocaine or local anesthetic approach. You know, in medicine, we see that as very different procedures, like our colleagues and neurologists typically that are doing lots of Botox to paralyze the muscle belly. And also sugar, we see our alternative practitioners doing that with um, neural therapy or into uh, ligaments with a uh, prolotherapy. So, you know, how do you see like the comparison with these three things? Well, it's good that you mentioned that because a lot of different forms of practitioners are using different things. So the term trigger point injection is quite vague 
I think it encompasses so many different modalities and uh, people are throwing in dry needling in there as well and not necessarily injecting any kind of liquid. But, uh, you know, there are some similarities between all of these approaches and then some significant differences. In terms of what we mostly do, it's local anesthetic injection and the Change Pain Clinic uses sort of saline as well. But when it comes to injecting other things such as Botox or dextrose, which is a sugar, they apparently act in different ways. So from my understanding, with dextrose injection, you're targeting a different part of the structures and you're looking at more of the nerves and reducing the nerve type or neuropathic pain, whereas therapists do, targets deeper muscles. What we're doing is sort of a hybrid of different things and focusing more on the muscles and what's known as the fascia, which is just uh, under the skin. It's uh, Think of it as the thin uh, see-through tissue that you see when uh, you're cutting a chicken breast. All humans have a layer of fascia as well underneath. And what we're discovering more recently with lots of research is uh, there are quite a lot of small nerve fibers in there. And injury to the fascia can lead to injury to the muscle and other dysfunction in the body as well. And trigger point injections of various types can be very helpful for this. Okay, so thanks for describing that a little bit more. Now, you brought up the subject of fascia and the word of fascia. I know it's a subject that I am always talking about with patients because this is a layer of connective tissue that runs throughout the whole body. And it goes around muscles, it goes through muscles, it connects muscles to muscles. And therefore, we get this Interesting presentation, especially with patients with chronic pain over a long period of time, where the pain kind of spreads. You know, patients come in with whiplash for a motor vehicle accident and they've got neck pain. But as the years roll on and the pain can spread, can you just give us some insight from your experience on, you know, how does that affect your treatment approach? That's a very interesting question. The fascia, I find, is very intimately involved in all sorts of pain and other conditions as well. When you have injuries such as motor vehicle accidents, what may start off as a bit of pain in the neck or shoulders from a whiplash injury can often spread and that can come from injury to the fascia. Either that's directly as a result of the accident where the fascia is irritated from the mechanical injury or people can even have old scars from surgeries such as a mole removal scar that they may have had from 20 years ago and have no issue with, all of a sudden becomes active and they'll have pain around the scar site. The way we've explained it to patients over time is the fascia moves and glides over other layers of tissue. And when you have a scar forming where the fascia is healing, it sticks to the underlying layers and it adheres and it acts as an anchoring point. And so when your body's subjected to some kind of injury or force, the body doesn't move the way it's meant to and it activates that area of fascia and can trigger a pain response. And then very characteristic patterns of referral, meaning the pain travels in certain directions, that's quite common amongst individuals. So the fascia brings its own type of pain. A lot of people would often describe that as a burning or electrical pain or a nerve pain. And they're quite often puzzled. When you treat someone's muscle, they'll feel a shooting pain and think we've hit a nerve. But it's actually the fascia that's activated. And it's the nerve pathways in the fascia that they're feeling. Exactly. You know, that's exactly how I see it. And as I hear the stories of patients every day, this distribution of pain, you mentioned, yeah, the pain can spread, right? And the classic thing in medicine, say a pain is going down the leg, we call it sciatica. You know, the Latin description of that is just pain down the leg, not specifically with the sciatic nerve. So could you just describe, say a patient's got low back pain and they've got their leg going down to their ankle. 
And it's not that classic thing that we learn in medical school where, you know, it's the S1 or the sciatic one nerve where we've got specific tests like reflexes and uh, muscle testing to see if it's a specific nerve. But actually, it's the fascia. So can you just describe that? Because I'm sure our audience members have experienced low back pain, many of them, and they've got pain down their leg and they're convinced they've got this problem. But it's not really been explained to them because guess what? The scans are normal and therefore it doesn't make sense, right? And there's left with that, well, what's going on? So can you just elaborate on that? Absolutely. This is something we see at my clinic on a daily basis. And I like your explanation of what sciatica means in Latin. And just to point to the audience, we love to use fancy sounding words in medicine, which actually mean very simple things once translated. And pain down the leg doesn't necessarily mean, as you said, it's a sciatic nerve. Now, by the time patients come to our clinic, we usually have the benefit of imaging, meaning the patients either had a CAT scan or an MRI scan because the physician sees them and they say, well, look, this sounds like sciatica, go and get physio, et cetera, et cetera. Things don't get better because they're doing everything they're meant to do to treat the sciatic nerve. Then they get a CAT scan or an MRI and it comes back and everything's absolutely fine. Now, in these instances, it can be a number of things causing the lower back pain. And a lot of the times it comes down to the fascia, as you mentioned, usually in the lumbosacral region, meaning just above the buttock area and the lower back, very superficially treating that area can resolve a lot of this pain. And also the, the gluteal muscles, so the biggest muscle in the body, essentially the gluteus medius and maximus at the back, when they're tight, they cause pain that travels down the leg. Patients may not necessarily notice that they have tight muscles in their bottom area, However, once the area is treated, they often find that things resolve. And often when we apply pressure to these areas over the muscle only, this involves the fascia and the muscle, patients will feel that characteristic radiation of pain that does shoot down the leg. And so often we do see this being the case and patients respond very well. However, caveat is many people can have pathology in the back. So they can have a slipped disc or they can have something else and have tight muscles and have fascial injury. And you can go for surgery, you can have a neurosurgeon fix the back and do a perfect job and the patient will come out and still have the pain, which according to the surgeon will make no sense because they'll have had imaging after the uh, procedure and the surgeon will say, well, look, everything looks great. The nerves aren't being pinched anymore. So I'm not quite sure why you have pain. Maybe you should go and get some physiotherapy and that'll do the trick. Quite often it's the fascia that's injured. And ironically, you now have uh, created a new scar on the lower back, which down the road can act as a potential focus for injury to the fascia and further pain. So very often we see patients, whether it's, uh, I've seen a lot of patients that have had hip replacement surgery for hip pain. They'll come out and the surgery is a fantastic success. However, they still have pain in their hips. And it's actually coming from the gluteal muscle or the fascia around the area. And treating that can give you more dramatic results sometimes than actually replacing a hip. Not that I'm saying you shouldn't have it done, but you have to bear in mind there's more than one layer to the body that needs to be addressed. Excellent. And I must thank you, Ravi, because I know we had a chat about last year and you actually informed me about some stories and case histories of amazing responses to these rare presentations of pain, like from an appendix scar. So you maybe share oh, yes. a story like you, like you did with me about a year ago, because it's just amazing. Um, to hear this is actually possible. In, in fact, I'll tell you a very recent story. I saw a patient two days ago, this gentleman in his late 40s, about 20 years ago, he had his right kidney removed for uh, what was thought to be a benign non-cancerous tumor. 
and he was doing absolutely fine until about six or seven years ago, he developed pain in his abdomen on the right side, around his scar and also across his abdomen as well. So as usual, you know, doctors will do their due diligence and they'll make sure nothing sinister is afoot and they checked his other kidney, everything's fantastic. There's no evidence of any kind of tumor. They looked at any other underlying issues. He had the colonoscopy and everything else to make sure they're not missing a trick and the you know, the usual CT scan, MRI scan, nothing's identified. You've had your usual parasha painkillers. So this guy tells me he's taking morphine at quite reasonable doses and even that wasn't cutting it. So he's on escalating doses. So we got to a point where the doctor didn't want to keep increasing the doses. So, you know, they're through the usual gamut of medications. He came to us, I think, about six or seven times in total. And uh, what we did was we looked at potential triggers for the pain. And uh, he's a fairly large fellow and very active, usually very physical job. And I figured the big scar he's got from his kidney removal must be playing a part because the pain is all around it. And when you start examining the abdomen, we found a lot of tender spots just by pressing very superficially around the scar. So we started treating the scar with a bit of local anesthetic uh, called lidocaine, just peppering the skin surface, injecting just underneath it, worked on the scar several times, and then worked on the muscles in the abdominal area and the fascia. And he tells me he described his pain now as about 1% of what he had. This is after six or seven treatments. He's gone back to his daily activities. He's now off his painkillers which is fantastic. And that's just from treating the scar. We see this on a regular basis. I see a lot of patients that have had pelvic pain and endometriosis, and they've had cesarean sections, or they've had laparotomy surgeries where the abdomen's cut open for other reasons, or they've had their gallbladder removed, and they develop this severe pain. And they've been through the specialist clinics, they've had multiple laparoscopies, etc. And you treat the scars, and they just treat the fascia, and the pain disappears. So we see a lot of those patients now sent to us from the Women's Hospital in BC. Excellent. You know, wonderful. Thanks for that uh, case history and very characteristic of patients that we see. You know, it's one of the four things I talk to patients about is causes for tightness in the fascia and then can lead to pain. One is surgery, one is aging, one is mm -hmm. stress in people's lives, and the other one is trauma, as you mentioned, fascial injury, muscle injury. And there's are, there are more reasons, but these are the big four I just see on a daily basis. Thanks for sharing that with us. I'd like you to just think of another case where you've treated maybe today or yesterday that our audience would maybe connect with, because I'm sure they're listening and they're thinking, well, I've got pain and we've tried lots of things. You know, we've been to the physio, we've been to the chiro, we've been to the, you know, the acupuncturist and it's just not working. And then we come to us and our day jobs and this is what we do all day, every day. And it always fascinates me that the patients don't understand why they've got pain, and we do whenever they start talking, and then we can go on and just treat it. So, yeah, think of another case that would maybe reach our audience. Absolutely. I can think of quite a few, actually. One just today is a lady, again, in her 40s, suffering with migraine headaches for the longest time. The headache starts at the back of the head. She feels tightness in her neck and often finds the pain shoots forward. And along with a lot of other patients, she describes the pain behind her eyes, and she feels like there's a pressure sort of pushing behind her eyes, pushing her eyes outwards when she has these headache episodes. She'd been to her family doctor, of course, when you describe pressures in your head, the doctor will get concerned, naturally, which is there to do our due diligence. And she had a scan of her head to make sure there's nothing inside, nothing known as a space-occupying lesion, meaning there's something in there that shouldn't be that's causing an increase of pressure 
inside the cranium. Of course, everything was clear, and she's been tried on multiple medication. And we've been treating her, and at first it didn't make any sense to her, but I started examining her neck and her shoulder muscles. And she said, well, I don't have any pain in my shoulders. And then you sort of press on the muscles around the trapezius, which is the sort of broad muscle that goes across the upper back. And naturally, she's got tight areas there, which we refer to as trigger points. And when I was pressing on certain areas in the trapezius muscle, going up towards her neck, and into a muscle known as the splenius capitis, I was able to recreate that exact headache pain that she experiences. So just by physically pushing with my fingers in certain areas, I gave her the headache that she usually experiences momentarily. And because I can identify those as being the causes for her headache, over the last few treatments, we've had great success in reducing the frequency. Now, you know, it's interesting you mentioned stress because as much as we as healthcare practitioners can do to help pain, quite often uh, the things we treat, such as tight muscles or fascial pain, can return if there are underlying factors, such as whether it's physical stress or emotional stress. All too often, uh, we'll see patients that will come in and uh, their pain is worse when their stress levels are worse. And I'll ask a patient, say, you know, how are your stress levels? And of course, everyone has stress. Whether you live in Canada or in a third world country, doesn't matter. And they'll say, oh, you know, it's been a lot worse recently. And I find when my stress is worse, my pain is worse as well. And we often carry this stress in our muscles as well as other places. And those muscles tend to be usually either the lower back or more commonly the shoulders and neck area. And for a lot of people, um, they'll describe getting headaches or worsened headaches when they are under stress. And there are many mechanisms, but one of those mechanisms is certainly muscle tightness. And those muscles tend to be the ones around the base of the skull, between the shoulder blades, those known as the rhomboids, and the trapezius muscle. So as much as we can do as doctors to relieve these trigger points and these muscles, it's quite likely that the pain will come back if the underlying stress has not been addressed. And of course, that's always the tricky part. And so any form of pain treatment, and this is something I tell patients, isn't just about the medical approach to alleviating the physical symptoms because the emotional symptoms are even more important. And those are the mechanisms that the patient has to really focus on. And that's where education is super important. So can you maybe give us some tips for the audience on the emotional side? Like what do you do in your clinic when you realize that this patient's got anxiety and we really need to deal with this or they've got a stressful home environment and you say, no, we need to deal with that. So what can our patients be doing on that side of things? That ranges from anything from things they can do themselves to professionals being involved, depending on the degree of stress they're experiencing. So often, if there is an obvious underlying stressor or mood issue such as depression or anxiety, the first thing we need to do is a thorough assessment. So as any clinician, we all go through and do a full assessment to make sure, first of all, an individual safe from harm to themselves or anybody else. And then try and look at what the underlying causes are. And of course, it's easy for us to say, don't stress. But uh, the reality is, it's not so easy to treat. So once we've established what factors are involved, that we can approach this in many ways. Sometimes it may actually be a referral to a clinical counselor or a therapist to look at coping mechanisms. Sometimes if it's more severe, we definitely need to involve more experts, such as psychiatrists, and we'll get the family physician involved in that part of it. But that's not the majority of cases. The majority of cases can be helped more with patient education. And we run a number of group sessions on dealing with these things. And whether it means mindfulness training and exercise or 
physical exercise or yoga, breathing, relaxation techniques to sort of calm you down in an acutely stressful situation, that can make a major difference to pain. So we have to take a holistic approach to this as well as the medical approach. But there are cases, of course, where medication is necessary. But the one thing my clinic's actually focused on is moving away from as much medication as possible because it comes with its own risks and side effects. But of course, there are instances where we have to use every resource we have available. But the first step for anybody is education. So awareness of what their condition is and identifying the factors that increase their symptoms. Well, listen, thank you for sharing that. You know, I'm impressed that you're running group sessions and likely getting your colleagues in who are experts in the areas of yoga, mindfulness, meditation, breathing, because that's something that I also practice myself as a part of my day job, you know, educating people on this. And I think most of our audience would are very aware that they obviously need to get extra help other than just the MD for the, their medications and utilize different approaches. So thanks for bringing that up and thanks for doing that because I actually wasn't aware that you're actually doing that in Vancouver. So I've That's learned right. something wonderful. There you go. The, the interesting thing is all too often people are uh, relying on the physician to fix their problem and make it go away with either a, an injection or a medication. But as I tell patients, we're just one tool in the toolbox that's needed to fix this. And the patient ultimately has to take ownership of what's going on in their life because they are the experts on their life, not us. We're just part of that. So that's where the education comes in and we'll have multiple group sessions addressing the five pillars of pain and various other things as well to sort of raise awareness of that. And the patients that take self-care into account and self-management always have better outcomes, and there's more and more research showing this now. Excellent. Okay, Ravi, is there any other subjects or any other topics you would like to cover? Obviously, we could talk about this all night because this is what we do as a day job, but anything that comes to mind right now that would be a real take-home great message? The most important thing for patients to do is become aware of their body, first of all. Become aware of, as I mentioned, what their symptoms are, what causes symptoms. When you know the cause, that's the way you can resolve pain. It's not always a simple medical solution. And one thing I'd advise is um, we always look for a quick fix. My advice to all patients, and this is after being a physician for quite a while, is let's try and avoid the medication approach if we can, because that's a slippery slope in many cases. And when you have chronic pain, it's very easy to fall into that uh, dependency on medications and that Fortunately, these days, more and more people are stepping away from the narcotic medications and muscle relaxants, but sometimes those medications are great in a pinch and it's an emergency, but all too often we become reliant on them and think we can't manage without them. But the more painkillers we use, the more we need them. And that's the danger. I always say to patients, if, if there's one less person out there that uh, is taking medications as a result of treatment, I feel like I've done a good job as a physician. And that's really the big sort of uh, take home there. Well, so thank you for that. That's fantastic. Where can our audience maybe learn more about your services in the Vancouver area? For the Lower Mainland, we have uh, two clinics. One's in downtown Vancouver near Vancouver General Hospital. And the other one serves the Fraser Valley area in Delta, just on the border with Surrey. We have a website for the clinic, which is www.musclemd.ca. And that has a lot of resources and information and further details about what we do, what 
myofascial pain is and uh, how they can access more help. Well, thank you again, Ravi. No problem. Uh, it would be great to have you on again, talk about other subjects. So we'll leave it there for tonight. And uh, you have a great evening. You too. Thank you very much for having me.